You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Welcome to Sojourn. If you don't know me, my name is Marshall, one of the pastors here. It's my joy and privilege uh, to be able to open God's word with you this morning. Um, If you're a guest, I'll just reiterate the welcome that Reed already gave you. Um, And uh, yeah, encourage you to take a step into community here if you don't have one that you currently belong to. We really do hope, pray, and believe that the uh, we will experience the church as God intended us to experience it, which is more than just a, a collection of people on a Sunday, but rather it's a, it's a people that we belong to um, through the person and work of Jesus. And so um, would love for you to experience that um, here. Um, with all that said, welcome to our, our New Year's Eve gathering. Again, uh, Reed already mentioned it, but um, was not expecting this many people. And so, um, you know, I was kind of just going to mail it in. And um, <laughs> now I'm a little, I'm a little nervous. Um, uh, just kidding. I, I actually am very much prepared. Um, we're <laughs> even though this is not building confidence at all in, in that reality. Um, <clears throat> we're taking a break, though, from our first and second Samuel series uh, to address a couple things that are on, on my mind and on my heart as we enter into 2018, um, and not only on mine, but, but on the minds and the hearts of our, our staff and elders. And so um, if you're a guest, uh, again, thank you for being here. This might feel a little like you're sitting at an awkward family dinner where we talk about things um, uh, a bit more upfront. Um, but I hope and pray that what we talk about over the next few moments challenges and encourages you as well. Um, I really think um, and believe uh, that God has some incredible things for us in 2018. And I don't, I don't say that um, uh, the way kind of it's, it's easily thrown around um, in, in church circles and even outside of church circles. I, I really do. I, I just feel like God has this church in particular on the cusp of something wonderful that he wants to do and I can't place my finger on it I'm not I'm not prophetic in that way Um, I just believe that to be true but I believe that in that um, he's also he's calling us to participate in that so yes he's going to do it and yes it's going to be by his grace and yes it's going to be the power of his spirit working in us and through us but but it's going to require some things from us and um, it's some things that um, I personally uh, feel like the Lord is calling me into and I feel like he's also calling us collectively into and so that's what we're going to talk about um, just for the next few moments um, as we uh, enter into 2018. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father thank you for this morning uh, again God we're grateful to be gathered together as your people and Lord we're grateful that this morning what what makes us your people um, is not that we have been more moral this year um, it's not that we've achieved more this year um, it's not that we've behaved better this year, God. It's quite simply, we are your people this morning because you, in your grace, have extended yourself to us in Jesus. You came, you bore our sin, and you let it utterly ruin your son in our stead so that we could experience the life and the inheritance and the eternity and the glory that is Jesus's because we've now been bought by his blood. And so, Father, um, it doesn't matter what 2017 held for us, whether it was 
um, really, really great or incredibly awful. Um, Father, in all of it, you have graciously sustained us and you've brought us here this morning to worship you. And so that's what we want to do. And at the same time, Father, we also want to grow in godliness. And we know that we need your spirit for that. So we pray that your spirit would be here and that your spirit would instruct us from your word and what it means to follow you uh, more faithfully in the year and Lord willing, many years to come as a church in this neighborhood. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a 22-year-old woman named Marina Keegan, um, and she was a she was a young author who who passed away unfortunately very early in life. But um, one of the one of the final things that she wrote she wrote for the Yale Daily News. She was a student there, um, and she wrote something that uh, for me certainly resonated, and I think it'll I think it'll resonate for for many of us here again. And I, I think this is irrespective of whether we would consider ourselves Christians in the room this morning or whether we would not. So. Um, let me just read, read what she said. She says this, we, we don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness. But if we did, I could say that's what I want in life. It's not quite love and it's not quite community. It's just this feeling that there are people, an abundance of people who are in this together, who are on your team. And like I said, unfortunately, Marina passed away shortly after writing that. But, um, but I, there's two things that, that I think Marina writes that are, or, or there's two things in what she's written uh, that I think we should observe, um, not only as people, but, but as Christians. And the first thing is this. I think that Marina touches on something that we all want. And that's, that's even if you're an introvert in the room this morning, right, that that the opposite of loneliness is what we want. And that it's something we can't quite describe. There's not a word for it. And that we have things that sort of touch around it, but that don't quite bring out the meaning that we're searching for in the opposite of loneliness. And so my second observation is this. I, I, I think... That the longing of Marina's heart, which is one that, I, again, I, I would imagine many of us, if not all of us, share, at least in some way. I think that the church is the answer and the ultimate expression of what Marina is desiring in this paragraph. And I, and I believe that to be true, even with the church Wearing as many stains as she is wearing, especially after a pretty rough 2017. I believe that to be true. Even, even if it will be more fully expressed when Jesus returns and finally makes us all that we were always intended to be as his people. But I really believe that the opposite of loneliness is only going to be found in the church because only in the church resides the power to draw us together in this kind of way for the long haul. Meaning, only in the church do we belong to an abundance of people who are in this together and who are on our team, irrespective of how we perform. Meaning, there's no way that we get booted from this team. And that's where I think 
we land now in John 17. And in John 17, this is what's happening. So um, if you're familiar with the Bible, um, these are red letter words. So these are the words that Jesus himself speaks. And Jesus in John 17 is praying, and he's praying right before he's going to be arrested um, after, after Judas's betrayal. And so this is kind of um, w- one of his final prayers that, that we'll see, and it's certainly one of the longest ones that we see written out. And in verse 20, which is where we picked up this morning, there's a transition that happens. You see, in, in the first part of the prayer, he's praying specifically for his disciples, the, the, 12, uh, the 12 and the others who are unnamed, who, who followed him throughout his ministry, who would remain after he died and ascended into heaven, right? So he's praying specifically for those right there. But in verse 20, he, he makes this shift and he says this. He says, I do not ask for these only, so not only for my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's now also praying not only for those disciples, but for anyone who would come after them that believe in Jesus and who he is and what he has done because of their testimony. And so Jesus right then and there, begins praying for us. People who have come to believe in Jesus through the testimony of the disciples. And so what does he pray on their behalf? In verse 21, he says, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So again, this is Jesus' final betrayal prayer before his betrayal and this is what he prays on our behalf it's very simple and yet it's very profound the the content of it almost exclusively is what that we would be one now why does jesus pray this why is that of all the things that jesus could pray or would think to pray in these final moments before his betrayal, before his arrest, before his crucifixion, before his death and burial and ultimate resurrection, why this thing? Well, he tells us in verse 21 that he prays this. He prays that we would be one so that the world may believe that God the Father sent him. So that the world might believe by the oneness of his people that God sent him. And so our oneness, our unity as God's people, as the church, is something that Jesus longs for us to have. 
And he longs for us to have it so that his ministry, his life, his words will be verified in the lives of his people. That essentially we, by our unity, legitimize the life and ministry of Jesus. That they actually believe that he is who he says he is, that he's done what he says he has done, and that the God in whose name he has arrived before us is the name above every name. But it's not only that, right? Not only in verse 21 did he say it was so that the world may believe that God the Father sent him, but in verse 23 he also says that the reason he prays for our oneness is so that the world may know that God loves us. That God loves his people, that God cares for his people, and that God has good things for his people. And so when we walk in unity together, when we live as one, not only are the purposes of God served, but we also enjoy the love of God more fully. And so unity, brothers and sisters, is integral to the church and to its witness to Jesus' lordship, and to our collective experience of God's love. Meaning, we experience God's love more fully as we are more united to one another. And so the pursuit of Jesus, unlike many other religious figures, is not in ascetism and removing ourselves from other people to be more pious and more holy, but rather in digging into one another's lives more fully so that we might experience the love of God together as one. And we see this echoed all throughout the rest of the New Testament, right? Especially in Ephesians chapter 4 when Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to live worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so if unity is integral to the church and if it's integral to to the church's witness to Jesus' lordship, and if it's integral to our experience of God's love, how do we meaningfully pursue and display this unity that we have, Paul says, by the Spirit? Well, let's um, read Acts chapter 2. In it, in Acts, what we're reading is the, the birth of the, the, the Christian church, right? So Jesus comes... Um, and he dies, is buried, is resurrected, spends some time on earth, 40 days, ministering to his people, and then he ascends into heaven. But right before he ascends, he tells them that he's going to send the Spirit to them, right? He tells them uh, that they'll have power and that they'll be his witnesses in not only uh, Jerusalem, not only Judea, not only Samaria, but even to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon and the Holy Spirit comes upon the followers of Jesus. And when the Spirit comes upon the followers of Jesus, this is what happens in verse 42. It tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now there's a lot at play here and we could easily easily write a whole sermon on each part of the list here, right? Each little bullet point we could talk about at length ways that we could pursue displaying unity in these ways. But this is a church that is united together for the glory of God and who in their unity, striving after the glory of God, is also experiencing the joy of God's presence among them. And I've picked out three areas that I really sense that God is leading us to pursue specifically at Sojourn Montrose. And we're talking about this display of unity. And the first one I'm going to do is this, and it's weird because it's a little out of order, but I, I absolutely believe that it's the primary way that God is calling Sojourn Montrose to, to be united and to express our unity. What you'll notice is that the fellowship of believers here, after the Spirit comes upon them, they are displaying their unity in their prayers together. It says in verse 42 that they're devoted to the prayers. And so the new church that is born before our eyes here is devoted to praying together. And listen, we've hammered this subject of prayer all year, but I still believe that we have so much room to grow here. And I, and I say this, myself included. It should regularly be stupefying to us that we have direct access to the God of the universe in prayer. We know what stupefying means, right? Like, it really should cause us momentarily, moment by moment, in, in the course of a day to think to ourselves, what am I doing? I could literally be talking, conversing with, hearing from the God of the universe right now. But man, this Reddit thread, <laughs> right? And listen, not only do we have access, right? We don't just have an audience in God. It's not just that he hears us, right? But it's that if we are in Christ, if we belong to Jesus, we not only have an audience, but we have a favorable audience. Meaning that we're walking into that room not wondering what's going to happen, not wondering if we're going to be rebuked or sent away or cast out, but rather knowing that we're going to be welcomed, we're going to be welcomed by God into his presence. And not only that, it tells us in his word that he delights in answering the prayers of his people. Like that that's something that gives him joy. And you know what? This, this really started to make sense for me this Christmas. This is the first Christmas that I've given my daughter a present where she hasn't been more fascinated with the wrapping paper than with the gift. 
But listen, when my, when my daughter says, Daddy, do you have another present for me? It's all I can do to not just giggle and say, yes, absolutely I do. Until you run out, and then it's another story. <laughs> it's all that I can do to not giggle and smile. And here's the reality. If we are in Christ, when we say, God, do you have something for me in this? He can't help but smile and say, yes, absolutely I do. Now listen, let's not get cute with this. I don't think, we, I don't think I need to explain this, but I don't mean a Mercedes and I don't mean a million dollars because I've already prayed that one and it didn't work. But more holiness, more fruit in evangelism, more of his spirit's presence and power with me throughout the day, more unity among his people, absolutely. God delights in those requests. Even, even if sometimes he says, it's not Christmas yet. I had to say that a lot this past December. December 1st, can I open it yet? It's going to be a long 25 days. <laughs> right? It may be a long 25 days. doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. Because maybe that day will be the day. And so, I know Reed already mentioned it, but I'm going to plug it shamelessly right now. Please come and join us for our Monday night prayer gathering. That's one small way that we meaningfully display our unity in prayer. And it only happens once a month, my goodness. And it's literally scheduled a month in advance. Just put it on your calendar and be here. 7 to 8 p.m. Not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow. They weren't just united or displaying their unity in prayer, they were also united and displaying their unity by their holiness, right? It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning that they weren't devoted to the teaching of Caesar, or to the teaching of Rome, or to the moralists, or to the hedonists. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and this made them different, which is why I use the word holiness, because that's the biblical word, right? To be holy is to be what? It's to be set apart. It's to be distinct. It's to be different. And when the Spirit comes upon the people of God, He makes them different because their primary allegiance is to the Word of God. And so it's my hope that this year, brothers and sisters, we as a church will display our unity by devoting ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. Meaning we won't be devoted to the teachings of a president or a nation or Republicans or Democrats or American cultural values or the newest wind of doctrine of our day. That's not to say that we can't explore or have meaningful dialogue around those issues, but it is to say that at the end of the day, we keep what is primary, primary.
that we'll be loyal to God's word above all else and that we'll allow it to make us different and to make us different together. Isn't that awesome? Listen, the journey to holiness is awkward in a thousand different ways. And it's particularly awkward in some of the conversations that it means we get to have with people who don't think or believe like us. And yet at the same time, we're in this together. God is making us different together. But you know what I desperately don't want? Is to be a follower of Jesus that looks like everybody else in the world. Because you know what that means? It means I'm probably not a follower of Jesus. And so I hope and I pray that we'll look more like Jesus this time next year. And not just a little bit, but significantly so. And we'll devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then finally, they're devoted in, or just they're displaying their unity uh, in, in another way. And again, these are only three of the many ways that unity is being put on display for us in these verses. But in verse 47, it tells us that they were praising God. And that as they were praising God, they gained favor with all the people. And this is not just people inside of the church. This is their community, the people around them, the people that are witnessing all of these things happening among this new church. They see that and they have favor with those people. And so they're displaying their unity in the consistent witness that they're given. It's not that they're not different. It's not that they've softened the rough edges of the gospel. It's not that they're not addressing issues of sin. It's not that they're not calling people to repentance and faith in Jesus. They're doing all of those things. And at the same time, having favor with all of the people. With the Romans, with the hedonists, with the moralists, with... All the people. And so the church was well known enough in the community that people had an opinion of them. And by God's grace, it was a good opinion that they experienced. You know, by God's grace, um, if, if you don't know the history of Sojourn Montrose, we're still fairly young. We're only four years old. We haven't been here all that long. Um, but by God's grace, I think we've outgrown sort of the, the, the church plant stage meaning we're, we're self-sustaining, right? We're able to, to provide for our own needs. Um, we're, we're self-organizing, meaning we can really just kind of, we can do what we do without any real help from the outside with the staff that we've got right now and, and, and the members and the, the people who are serving on ministry teams and things like that. Like we self-organized and, and we're, we're self-governing. We, we kind of, we make our, our decisions with, by choice within within this greater collection of churches called Sojourn Houston, but really on a local level, there's not a lot that, that doesn't just get handled here. And those are sort of traditionally have been sort of the markers of, a, uh, of, a, um, of an established church, if you will. And while I, while I praise God for that, and I think it's a, it's a wonderful grace to be in that kind of place, I, 
I think for many of us, and again, my, myself included, and please know that in all of this, I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody else in the room. Um, I think for many of us, that's allowed us to grow, to grow comfortable, comfortable in a way that I'm not comfortable with. <laughs> you see, there was a lot of urgency in those early days to meet neighbors, to evangelize, um, because if we didn't, then Sojourn Montrose wouldn't exist. <laughs> Now, quite clearly, we don't have too much trouble filling seats on a Sunday. Um, and I think along with that, some of that urgency has cooled. And that scares me a little bit. Um, and here's why. It scares me because that means, or it could mean, that maybe the urgency in the beginning was more about growing and sustaining an organization than about seeing God's glory grow in Montrose through the gospel of Jesus. I want to say that again. It scares me because maybe the urgency that we had in the beginning was more about growing and sustaining an organization than about seeing God's glory grow in Montrose through the gospel of Jesus. I don't want to just maintain an organization, brothers and sisters. It would be easy to do from here out. But I believe that God's glory is what's at stake. And if it's God's glory that, that's at stake, then we always have a reason to be urgent. Now listen... As we, as we conclude, I, I'll just be honest. Um, none of what we're talking about this morning um, in terms of cultivating this kind of church that, that is meaningfully unified and that displays this meaningful unity that we have in the Spirit and in the power of God displays it in these ways, in, in prayer and in devotion to the apostles' teaching and in faithful witness evangelism to our community none of none of those things are easy in fact all of them are terrifying for me because it means here's what it means it means that i'm going to have to let god's word unsettle me it means that I'm going to have to go back to those parts that are tricky i'm going to have to go back to those parts that call me to give some things up and let them actually sink in. And let them demand something different from me. But here's also what it means. Because again, this isn't just playing out on an individual level. It also means, it also means that I'm going to have to be bold enough to let those words not only speak for me, but speak for you. And to trust that God's word is what you need more than my approval. And that means that there's going to be a whole lot less winking and nodding at sin and much more staring it down and trying to kill it. It's terrifying because I am, <laughs> I am someone who desperately longs for the approval of others. And you know, a really bad foot to start off on in Montrose is this. 
hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. <laughs> oh. Hey, do you want to, by the way, talk about Jesus and why you're sinful and why you need his grace? <laughs> They've already walked out the door by <laughs> at that point, right? And yet, look, if it's God's glory that's at stake, then I should be compelled in those situations not to be concerned about my reputation, but to be concerned about his glory. And in order to see those two things become a reality, one, for me and you and all of us together to face up to our sin, name it and be rid of it, and to then faithfully engage with our neighbors, we're going to need to pray. We're going to need to pray for the strength of God, for the grace of God, for the mercy of God, for the power of God to be among us. And we're going to have to pray that God will keep us together as we do this. You see, it's no mistake that in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Making Every effort. We're not going to experience this apart from, from some meaningful effort on our part. That's not to mean that we earn our salvation or any of those ridiculous things. But it is to mean that if we're to step into greater faithfulness, if we're to step into following Jesus down this narrow road, it's going to require some effort on our part. None of these things, not humility, not gentleness, not patience, not bearing with one another in love, none of those things are natural dispositions for us. And it could not be more clear in our political discourse, right? None of these things come naturally to us. And yet that's what we're being called into none of this is easy but but here's the grace of God in all of it the grace of God in all of this is that he provides the spirit to go along with us down that narrow road you see Emmanuel God with us is not just true during Advent it's not just something we celebrate once a year around Christmas. You see, when Jesus returned to his father's house, he didn't leave us. No, in fact, Jesus said before leaving that his disciples should want him to leave because when he does, the Spirit would come. And it's that Spirit that now dwells in us. So that same thing that God said to his disciples, you know what? I know it's great with me here, but it's going to be even better when I leave because you're going to have the Spirit with you. That Spirit is in us. And the same things that Jesus said about it then are true about it now. And so listen, whether we're looking back at 2017 thinking, how can it get worse? Or whether we're looking back at 2017 and thinking, how could it get better? We should remember that if we're Christians in the room, God is already in our 2018. Right? That God, God doesn't 
God is not experiencing history in the way that we are. He's not experiencing it in a linear way. He stands outside of time, outside of history, outside of space. And he is omnipresent, meaning he is present in all places, not just in space, but in time. He is already in 2017. And if we're Christians, uh, already in 2018, sorry. It's going to take a while. It would be like February, still writing 17. Um, He's already there. And you know what? If you're a Christian in the room, he's promised that not only is he there, but he's actually ordering it. And he's promised that he's not only just ordering it, but that he's ordering it for your good. And so whatever comes our way, no matter what creeps into our heart, no matter what creeps into our doorway, no matter what creeps into our lives, it has been prepared by God and He has given us His Spirit to guide us through it together. And so brothers and sisters, this is the journey that I am excited to begin with you this next year. And if you're a guest this morning, we humbly and graciously invite you to join us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, God, we're grateful to be gathered together. And Lord, we want to experience the fullness of your love for us. God, we're so forgetful. So often we need to be reminded that you love us. But God, one of the most tangible reminders that you've given us are the people in this room. A people who are on this journey with us. A people that you are making one. A people that you are calling together for your glory. And God, it's these same people that we get to share this table with this morning, that we will share a table with in glory. And so God, we look forward to that day, and yet at the same time, we know that if we have breath in our lungs and if we have life into 2018, God, you have work that is yet to be done, not only in us, but through us. And so Lord, I pray that you'll make us humble enough to receive whatever it is that you have, God, that we wouldn't think so highly of our own opinions, or of our own beliefs, that we wouldn't subject ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. And I pray, Father, that we'd enter prayerfully into the world that you've sovereignly orchestrated for our good. Asking, Lord, that you'd make it clear for us the opportunities you've given us to love and serve our neighbors of every creed, of every color, of every kind and type, because your kingdom is composed of every color and creed and kind and type. And so Lord, we thank you uh, that we get to come to your table this morning and we get to share a meal together that, again, meaningfully displays our unity, not only before you, but in you, through your son Jesus, through his broken body and through his shed blood. God, we love you. We're grateful for all things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.